Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Young's literal translation of this same verse says, To the age, O Jehovah, thy word is set up in the heavens. Whether it's firmly fixed or set up, or whatever your translation happens to use for word there, the root Hebrew word means to fix. Now again, that doesn't mean fix it because it's broken. That means to, to settle it. The root word means to fix, to establish, to set up, or to be fixed to be determined, to be stationary. Now, as I say that, we talk about firmly fixed and we talk about the word set or set up. For those of you particularly in the building trades, you might think of concrete. These are terms regarding concrete, if you will. I remember my dad many years was a self-employed carpenter and whenever they poured concrete, he would talk about concrete needing to set up. As you pour it in, it's kind of sort of liquidy and, and you get it to the point where it needs time to harden, to stiffen, to become that platform or whatever it is to, to set up, to be firmly fixed so that you can walk across it, drive across it, affix structures to it, whatever that you're going to do. And so this idea of being firmly fixed, God's word is, is concretely set or set up or fixed in the heavens. That's where our sermon title comes from this morning. It's probably the shortest sermon title I've ever had in my entire life. It's one word, set. That's it, set. Keep that thought in mind for a few minutes, if you would. Just kind of tuck that in the back of your mind. Last Sunday night, Brother Bob Deffenbaugh came and did, a, um, did an update on the events at Green Valley Bible Camp and on the building that they are doing there and he had a series of slides, and this was one of them facing back up on the hill toward the, the boys' section there. And he also asked on that Sunday night sermon, how many of you had been as campers, counselors, visitors, or in some form or fashion had been to Green Valley? And he had you raise your hands, and he said to look around. I'm going to ask if you're able this morning, quietly, we can do this without a word, if you've ever been camper, counselor, attended, family, visitor, guest, whatever, to Green Valley, if you've been there, stand up for just a moment, would you please? We can do it silently, just stand up. That's more than half the congregation. Is I, I'm not going to take time to count you, but that's over. I'm going to say that's about 65, maybe 70%. Okay, please be seated. Thank you for your patience. Many of you who have been there at one time or another may very likely, certainly, students, counselors, you'll certainly be there again quite likely, and, and most of you may likely be there again in some form or fashion. And, and when you get to Green Valley, and when you see this impressive new structure, and you see how it's all set up, and the new canteen, and, and all of these things, all of its modern amenities, the new sound system, and, and all of those things, Maybe as you visit Green Valley next time and, and you look at it and, and you recall how it used to look for all of those years prior to this. 
I hope that upon your visit, amidst all of those things, that you might take just a moment or two. The next time that you're at Green Valley and you, and you step up onto that concrete where the new pavilion is going to be, I hope you'll take just a minute before you do, even in the flurry of registering as a camper, and just look at that concrete for a minute before you step up onto it. And recall and reflect again upon this sermon this morning and its application to your Christianity. I'm going to do a quick math computation because I did a really slow one and I'm just going to give you the results, but I want you to just kind of tuck these numbers away in your head. I've got a chart at home of the total amount of campers, day campers, counselors, and all that from 2008 to 2017, over a 10 year span at Green Valley. When you combine the total number of day campers, weekly campers, high school retreat campers, and all the staff and counselors over that 10 year period, that averages out to about 1,700 people per summer at Green Valley, around 17, a little over 1,700 when you take all of those combined. Now, when you start counting the evening visitors, you start counting all of the parents that have dropped their kids off at Green Valley, you start considering all of those things, you can easily double that 1,700 plus number. I mean, think about it. For each kid, you've got probably at least one parent, if not two, dropping them off. You've got evening visitors, and so when you add all of this up, you can, you can almost, you can pretty easily double that 1,700 plus, and you can get into about 3,500 people per summer at Green Valley. Now, many, if not all of those people, wind up walking across this slab. Consider this, if those numbers continue to be the same on into the future or roughly the same, and if that new floor lasts 50 years, we'll say, probably lasts a lot longer than that, but if it lasts 50 years, that means that somewhere in excess of 175,000 people will probably step on that slab. That's over a third of a million feet, because everybody's got two, or most everybody. A few four-legged, anyway. Um, think of it, over a third of a million feet, 175,000 people over a 50-year period will probably wind up walking across that slab if the numbers stay the same. And if, those, if that floor lasts for 50 years, half a century, can you even begin to imagine the sermons and the Bible studies that are going to be taking place right there on that concrete. Can you imagine the skits and the beautiful singing and the number of songs that are going to echo across that concrete? Can you imagine the amount of friendships and all of the fellowship that that concrete is going to support? and the campers, and the counselors, and the parents, and the visitors, and the camp staff that over the next 50 years is going to come and go across that concrete. Imagine all that concrete's going to see, or would if it could see. Then think about the different styles, the different advances in technology, and all the changes in the world that will go on, that will happen in the next 50 years. Many of them in some form or fashion touching or coming in contact with, or crossing the face of that concrete. And all the while, 
Despite all of those different people, all of those different changes, all of those different influences, and no matter how many chairs are dragged across it, that concrete, now firmly fixed, settled, and established, will not only be able to continue to support all of the steel that will be mounted on it, all of the structure, not only that, but that concrete will remain unscathed, undamaged, unchanged and unaltered by the wind, the weather, and all the changes in the world that will go on around it. And that's something. And taken to a much greater level, I use that as an illustration to say this, taken to a much greater level and in an infinitely stronger fashion, such is also true of the Word of God. The Word of God is forever firmly fixed, set like concrete. But this morning I'd like to not only have us get that idea in mind that we can always depend on the Word of God no matter what's going on in our lives around it, no matter the storms we endure, no matter anything else that goes on and the changes and all of that, we can always depend upon the Word of God to hold us up because it is forever like concrete, permanently set or firmly fixed. It is thoroughly set up, just like that concrete foundation on only a much higher level. While that's true, though, I'd like to go a little different direction with this lesson this morning than that. I'd like for us to think about this concept here that we've already talked about as it applies to something else. As it applies to our faithful, proper Christian focus attitude and mind set, our mind set, what we set like concrete, our mind upon, because you see, we should be as firmly fixed and set upon the word of God on earth as the word of God is firmly set up in the heavens. I uh, remember from a number of years ago, there was an old bumper sticker slogan that said, some people's minds are like concrete, thoroughly mixed up and firmly set. While that's true, a Christian's mind is not thoroughly mixed up when we are walking in the light of God. So the first part of that doesn't apply to us, but the second part certainly should, that our minds should be firmly set up on the word of God, firmly established. We should have that mindset all the time. We should have that mindset and keep our minds set firmly on the word of God no matter how many people try to walk all over our faith. Just like that floor is going to get walked on by so many people. We should have that mindset and our mind should be firmly fixed no matter how many changes in the world are going on around us. The world will change over the next 50 years, won't it? That concrete slab probably won't. We should have that same mindset like concrete on the word of God, no matter how many storms come and go and seek to wreak havoc on our mindset. This morning I'm talking about a heart and a soul and a mind that is firmly set, permanently set upon seeking, 
obeying and pleasing God. That is the foundation. That is where our mind is set. No matter what on earth is put upon us, dragged across us, or any other fashion of going on around us. We would note this mindset, and the Bible uses this idea of set your minds. It uses this idea in, in a number of places. I want us to see this strong and solid and unyielding mindset in a few passages and how that pleases God. Let me read to you this morning from 1 Chronicles 22, verses 17 through 19 out of the English Standard Version. Now, the English Standard Version, I appreciate it. It was up here during communion, a, a translation from the English Standard Version. It's a wonderful text. Uh, translation of the Bible. It's strictly literal, like our King James, New King James. But the English Standard Version tends to use this idea of set your mind a little more often. In 1 Chronicles 22, 17 through 19, the ESV, it says, David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you peace on every side? For he has delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and his people. Now, set your mind. Set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God may be brought into the house, built for the name of the Lord. David says, set your mind, set it like concrete, set it like that foundation. Don't let anything deter you. Set your mind and your heart to seek the Lord your God and to build this place for him. Set yourself entirely. It's what we need to do. Set ourselves entirely to seek the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. This is not a one-time thing. You know, we should be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. That, that's a one-time thing. This ain't that. This is not a one-time setting of your heart. It's not like a setting of your thermostat where you, you set it and you leave it and you forget it and it's always there. Um, this is a continual setting. This is something we do on an ongoing basis. It's not a one-time event. It's not a changeable course of action or direction. This setting our mind on the things of God is an all-day, all-the-time, single-minded, despite the distractions, despite whatever the weather, the world, the storms, or anything else throws at us, or how much the world seeks to walk all over us, we need to stay set like a concrete floor. It's a mindset. Turn to me in your Bibles this morning to Daniel, and we'll see this idea again of concrete commitment as well as concrete law. In Daniel chapter 6, if you would please be turning there, we'll read from it in a moment. There are these leaders that are jealous of Daniel. And so they have a law made that they know Daniel won't keep. They have the king sign a decree that says that anybody that prays to any other god for 30 days is going to be thrown into the lion's den. And they go before the king and they have him sign it. So it's locked in, it's law, it's, it's unchangeable. It is set in stone, as it were. Look what Daniel does at this point in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he knew. He knew what was coming. He knew that the king had signed this. He knew that it was unalterable. He knew 
knew that it was set in stone. You can't pray anybody other God, any other God. What did he do? When he knew it was signed, he went home and in the upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Do you see Daniel's faith? Daniel's faith is concrete. It doesn't matter what the world throws at him. It doesn't matter anything what's going on around him, even after he knew that it was signed and he couldn't do this, what did Daniel do? Daniel had a concrete, set commitment to seek the Lord his God. Please notice, he remained undaunted, undamaged, and unchanged by the pagan laws, politics, and politicians. And make no mistake, that's what they were of his time said. Daniel would not buckle he would not bend, he would not collapse his commitment beneath the weight of their threats or their attempts to assault his faith. He would not buckle. Verse 12, and they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Haven't you signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, will be cast into the den of lions? Didn't you sign it? King answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. The law was etched in stone. It was as, as unchanging and unwavering, unalterable and unchangeable as it could be. We see that again, in, or we saw that in verse 8 as well. Look at verses 13 and 14. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased within himself, watch this, and set his heart. The ESV says set his mind. Either way, the word set is there. He set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Do you see what it means to be set? His heart was set on it. His mind was set on it. He spent his whole day at the expense of everything else. He labored until the sun went down to save Daniel because his heart was set on it. When your heart is set on something, it's locked in. And even though he knew the law was unchangeable, he set his heart and he labored till the sun went down to free Daniel. Now, we know, obviously, that he wound up not being able to do that. Verse 15, again, Medo-Persian law was firmly fixed, permanently set. We've seen this several times now. Just like Daniel's faith and commitment in God. Could say the, you know, the uh, immovable object meets the unalienable force. But when we know that whole story, we know how it turned out, don't we? Because of Daniel's concrete faith because he set his heart to seek the Lord no matter what the world threw at him. Daniel was rewarded. We see this time and again throughout scripture. I would just note quickly from Ezekiel chapter 24 verses 15 through 27. In that passage, God makes a point and his point is he's going to have Ezekiel's wife die as an illustration to the people of Israel. Now, it says there 
in verse 25, that God will take from them their stronghold, their joy and their glory, the desire of their eyes and that on which they set their minds, their sons and daughters. Did you get that? God is going to take from his Old Testament people their stronghold, again, Ezekiel 24, 25, their stronghold, he's going to take their joy, he's going to take their glory, he's going to take the desire of their eyes and that on which they set their minds, their sons and daughters. Because they did not set their minds on him. You know, it's pretty dangerous to live your life as a parent and use your kids as an excuse why you don't go to worship service. That's dangerous. Because that which we set our minds on must be God or God may remove our excuse for not setting our mind on him. That's what was going to happen here. If I'm going to use my kids as an excuse and everything that they're doing not to be here, I need to be understanding that's pretty dangerous ground. You have an obstacle that gets between you and God, God may just remove the obstacle. That's what he was doing with these people, and that's scary. In the New Testament, we would notice Romans 8, 5 through 8. Again, let me read from the English Standard Version this idea of set like concrete. Romans 8, 5 through 8 from the ESV says this, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Is that still true? Absolutely. If that is where you're locked in, if that is your concrete focus, that's death. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set, that is like concrete, on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's why our mind set must be forever firmly fixed on God and not on our own desires or pop culture or human wisdom, or any of those other things, Matthew 7, 21 through 27, and Colossians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. This constant attitude or mindset of choosing to pursue the one foundation that is the word of God, that is firmly fixed in the heavens, to build our lives on that one lone foundation, to set our minds upon it, to build, to anchor down to, to, to have support our lives in the storms and all of that, has to be where our mindset is. There's nothing else that'll carry your life. Not human wisdom, not human psychology, not education, Nothing. There is nothing else. 
people that have it all and they and they get they have they have the highest of educations they have the highest of IQs they have more money than their family can spend for three generations you know what when they come down to that last day before they meet the Lord you know what they understand all of that stuff can't save them building a life on that is building your life Jesus said on shifting sand it will not support so we must set our minds on that which is firmly fixed in the heavens. Turn to me to Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. Look how much Paul emphasizes this. In Colossians 2, verse 14, actually it's Colossians 2 and verse 12, I believe. In Colossians 2, help us in the right book, right? I'm getting ahead of myself. In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 12, it's talking about those who've been buried with him in baptism and were raised with him through faith in the working of God. Those people who have been buried with him. That is the context as he goes on. And look what he says about those people in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, again talking to those who've been buried with him in baptism, talking to Christians, if you've been raised up to walk in newness of life, if you have been raised with him, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Here comes our word. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. He can't make it any clearer. He can't make it any simpler. He can't make it any plainer. Like concrete, firmly fixed, set your mind on things where Christ is if you have been raised up with him. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you'll appear with him in glory. Christ is our life. The old man of sin has been put to death. And so we must focus our minds now, set them on things above. Why would Paul say such a thing? Well, number one, he was divinely inspired. Number two, Paul understood that there were many first century Christians who weren't doing that. And it was going to destroy him. He knew that there were many first century Christians who did not have this mindset or did not set their mind on things above. They did not have this single-minded focus like concrete on the things above instead of earthly things. And they were in terrible danger. They were in eternal danger. Turn them in your Bibles to Philippians 3. The book just before this, Philippians chapter 3, look what he says here, beginning in verse 17. He says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have for us a pattern. For many walk, he's talking to Christians, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, they're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame. Who are these people, Paul? The ones who set their minds on earthly things. That's just what he says. That's who they are. He says we can't do that because, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, body, according to the working by which he is able, we talked about that in a recent sermon, even to subdue all things to himself. He said, look, if Jesus has raised you up, if Jesus is your life, 
then set your mind where, his, where he is. Don't you understand? That's where your citizenship's from. Set your mind on those things. Again, this setting of one's mind is, is a lot more than just a momentary, you know, once a year, once a, I mean, that concrete slab that we saw a few minutes ago, that's not just a one-week thing. They, they, they didn't just build that for us. I know we're special week eight, right? But they didn't build that just for us, right? It's not a one week or day thing, this setting up. It is a lifelong thing. It's a constant, unflinching, concrete commitment to the word of God. It is setting our attitude daily on seeking and serving and obeying him. And in fact, it is an attitude. It is an attitude. It's not a checklist. You know, when you walk into the Locust Grove High School, cafeteria, gymnasium area, they have several quotes up there on the walls, nice quotes about attitude. Let me read you a couple of them, three of them actually. These words appear on those walls. Winston Churchill said, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. Benjamin Franklin's quote is up there, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Sounds like the five foolish and the five wise virgins we've talked about in the adult Bible class from Matthew 25. But this is the one I really want to zero in on. Lou Holtz said, ability is what you're capable of doing. Motivation determines what you do. And attitude determines how well you do it. Now, as you think about his words there, and we're going to apply them biblically in a minute, but as you think about his words there, you can see that this, this setting your mind idea, this is an attitude. It's a lifelong choice of commitment. That's what it is. It's not just something you do once in a while. And it will determine how well you do things. This mindset on God and on his word will determine how well you do what you know you had ought to do. Think about that. This is seen in the Bible. Turn with me to Philippians 2. Watch this. We'll trace this out here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any attention in mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. The point of verse 2 is that we should all have the same mindset. In fact, one version says, then fill me with joy by having the same attitude. So it's talking about an attitude, that word, an attitude or a mindset. Okay? Now, verses 3 through 5. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind, and again, that idea of attitude, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's at least two versions that I looked up that use the word attitude when they translate Verse 5, they use the word attitude instead of mind. It, it, that's what we're talking about, a state of mind, a mindset, an attitude, an ongoing thing. Now, keeping that in mind from Philippians 2, 1 through 5, let's go back and kind of apply 
what Lou Holtz said to Jesus. Jesus, the word became flesh, was capable of living a sinless life, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was capable of living a sinless life and then dying for us who haven't lived one, wasn't he? Was he capable of that? Yes, he was. Okay. His motivation to do that was that he came to do the will of God. John 5 and verse 30 said, I have come to do the will of my Father. Okay? So that takes care of the first two. But it was his mindset. It was how firmly fixed his mind was. His attitude that determined how well he did it. And how well did Jesus do what he came to do? He did it perfectly, didn't he? He did it perfectly. We see that in Philippians 2, 6 through 11. He did it perfectly. Now, what about us? Let's talk about us. What are we capable of doing? Now, we're talking biblically. Lou Holtz was not divinely inspired. It's just a nice quote, and I can use it here, okay? What is it that we are capable of doing? Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's what we're capable of. What is our... I should have done that earlier. What is our motivation? Our motivation, Romans 5, 6 and following, is that Christ died for us when we were still sinners. That's our motivation. Isn't that what drives us? So we know what we're capable of, can do all things through Christ. We know the motivation is that Christ died for us even while we were yet sinners. We, we understand that. Now, the question is, with that capability and that motivation, what is my attitude, though? This is going to determine on how well I do it. What is my attitude? What is my mindset? Where is my mind firmly fixed? And what is it concretely set upon? Because only that will determine how well I do what I'm capable of doing and that which I'm motivated to do. That'll determine it. So, how well am I going to do it? Depends on my attitude, depends on my mindset, depends on what my mind is set on like concrete. We see all three of these in 1 Peter chapter 1. Please turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll see all of these in the text. First Peter chapter 1, let's read verses 13 through 19. First Peter 1, 13 through 19, here we go. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Get your mind set right. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope. Some versions say set your hope. Fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourself to your former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it's written, be holy because I'm holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Okay, let's think about it. What am I capable of doing? Well, I'm capable, verses 13 through 16, of living a different life than I used to. I'm capable 
of not conforming to my former lust. I'm capable in Christ as a new creation of not conforming to what I used to do. I'm capable of holy conduct, verses 13 through 17. That's what I'm capable of, okay? What is my motivation to do that? Well, because I was redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, verse 19. That's my motivation, isn't it? But despite those two things, the question really comes down to how well will I do it? Despite what I'm capable of and what motivates me, how well will I do what I know I had ought to? Well, that, deter that is determined by whether or not, verse 13, my mind and my hope are set fully upon the grace of God. That's what determines how well I do it. What about you right now? It's easy sitting in church on Sunday morning to have your mind set on the Word of God, right? That, that's pretty simple. What about tomorrow morning with you, when you're with your friends or coworkers? What about tomorrow night when you get home from work or school and you're exhausted? What about when the next crisis or the next storm hits in your life? No matter how many rainstorms we see at Green Valley, I really don't think it's going to wash that concrete slab out, do you? It's going to have to rain really, if it rains that hard, I don't want to be there. And if we have our minds as firmly set upon the word of God and the hope that we have and the grace that is to be given to us, if our mind is set on those things, as firmly set as the word of God is firmly and forever fixed in the heavens, brethren, I'm telling you right now, that storm will lose almost all of its punch. And our lives will be so much more joyful because we will always have that firm foundation to build our lives upon. What is your mind set upon this morning? Is it set upon the word of God and will it be the rest of this week? Or once you get back out there into the world, will church kind of be left behind in the things that we've learned? And will your mindset go to the thing? Now it's okay, now I realize when we're driving down the road, my wife doesn't know I realize this, but when you're driving down the road, you kind of have to pay attention to what's going on around you. I get that. She doesn't think I do, but different story. But can I go down the road with my mind kind of looking at what's around me and at the still same time have my mind set on God? Yes. Can I pray? Anybody pray going down the road on occasion? Yeah, right? We can do that, right? Our first mindset should always be like concrete on God's word. Because only that will take us through the storms and the ever-changing world and the people who try to walk on our faith and all the chairs they seek to, to drag across us and scar the surface and mar the surface of our faith. Brethren, if we are firmly fixed like concrete, if our mind is set on Jesus, on the things in heaven, where our life is, where Christ is, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, life's going to be so much better. And guess what? Eternal life is in that mix too. And I don't have to worry about Philippians 3, 17 through 19 being one of those Christians whose mind is set on earthly things. It says there, whose end is destruction. I don't want to be one of those. I don't want you to be one either. Set your mind on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This morning, <laughs> says it all, doesn't it?
this morning? There's only one way to do that. Maybe you're somebody here and you've never been baptized into Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 7 says that we're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of us who have been baptized into Christ to put on Christ. If you're not a child of God, the way to become a holy child of the holy God is that you've got to become holy. That is, you've got to have your sins washed away. You can't be part of God's family until your sins are washed away because God's holy. We just read that in 1 Peter. Maybe this morning you'd like to do that or at least study it more, how you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, not for any other reason. Because that's what the scripture says. That's what our eternal hope is built on is the firm foundation of God's word. Maybe you need to be baptized into Christ to have your sins forgiven. Maybe you're somebody here who's already done that. But you know after this morning's lesson that there have been a lot of times, and you anticipate that there will be more times, that your mind will not be as set on eternal things as it should be. That's never happened to anybody in this room, right? If you would like the prayers of the church to have your mindset strengthened, if there's any way we can help, with any of these things. Please make your way to the front right now. We're going to stand and invite you down with this song. <laughs>